The following sermon is from City Life Church. For more information about City Life Church, please visit us at clcgreenwood.com. How have I done? Good. Did you guys notice anything different when you came in? I'm not wearing a hat. That's what it is. Good job. <laughs> well, hey, welcome to City Life. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you are new with us, you really are a privileged guest of ours, and we hope you felt that way. Um, we would love for you to come back and be a part of what we're doing here at City Life. Uh, for those of you that don't know, our stage used to be over there last Sunday, and we had an incredible team of volunteers who started right after the service last week. They started demoing that stage, building this one. And then we've had an incredible team actually just getting this up and running to where we can have this this week. This is a really, really, really big job, and God has blessed us with a lot of very skilled people who don't charge us money, so it's amazing. Yeah. Thought you guys would be more excited about that. Maybe it's just me. So um, we're not going to name them right now. We're going to wait till the end of everything being done to kind of show you. Uh, they will not want to be seen, but we're going to make them be seen anyways because they put an incredible amount of work in. But can we just collectively like thank everybody for what they did here this week? You don't know who they are. Uh, so a few things this week. We just got everything up and running. My big fat head is going to be in the way of this screen most of the service, so you will not see the verses up there predominantly, um, but we will have screens on the outside of the stage next week, and so it'll be a much better setup, and we, you will be able to see everything next week. It'll be great. So we asked you to start praying about something uh, probably a month or six weeks ago, and the reason we asked you specifically to pray about this was because when our church very first started in January 2012, we started with a, an incredible worship leader. His name was Matt Yingling. And when we planted Franklin City Church in Franklin, he felt that God called him to go down with them and get their music started the same way he had here. So we uh, obviously were sad to see him go, but we fully gave him permission to do that. Um, and since then, we, this incredible team that is up here every week has held our worship together, has kind of led collectively as a group, and they've done an incredible job. Can we just thank them for what they have done? <laughs> over uh, the last couple of years, um, but, but we really wanted somebody who could just kind of own the ministry that would teach our, our musicians and our uh, singers just kind of what really the heart of worship was, but also you as a congregation. And so nobody on our team really felt that that was the call on their life from God, and so we started praying about it. And so I asked you to start praying about Tony and Heather Kiesel, and I'm going to uh, ask you that you would join them, or welcome them to the stage. Tony and Heather Kiesel, let's bring them up here. We got the mics. So we specifically asked you to start praying about them coming in and becoming our kind of permanent worship leaders. And so um, we doubled their pay from nothing to twice, whatever that is. So that was amazing. And they agreed. And so um, we, we want to uh, just kind of interview them this morning and let you hear a little bit from their heart on what this looks like for them. So we actually have a long history with them. Um, it's really cool how God has kind of brought this around full circle. Um, so I'm going to let you guys tell us, so tell us a little bit about kind of the background of some of the people you know and play with and give us, give us that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, hello, hello. Uh, so I, uh, I'm originally from the South Side. Heather and I met in Alaska. I was in the military and David was in the military. So their family was up there and I was leading worship at a college age ministry. Not very well, pretty bad. <laughs> this was a while ago. Um, also, I wasn't in college, but I was there. Yeah, well, you know. The guy with the guitar. Um, so we moved 
to back to Indianapolis about 2005 and started leading worship uh, at Sanctuary Church, which uh, with Pastor Doug uh, and Paige and Larry, and, and some of you are familiar with Sanctuary Church. Um, and we were there for a few years, and right about that time, uh, we just felt a calling um, to join another church called Revolution that Pastor Mike Wiggin was starting. Yep. Uh, it met in a really dumpy apartment <laughs> complex. <laughs> it did. That was the appeal for them. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. That's what that was it did it. And so we led worship there for a while, and then at, at some point, probably seven or eight years ago, our lives started kind of happening more on the north side, um, which is where we live. We live up uh, uh, almost in Westfield, like 146th Street. Um, and I was working in Kokomo, and uh, we started going to a church called I-Town, um, that's now in a big building off of 69, you can see it. Um, so we started leading worship um, a little further south on 86th Street for us, yeah. pretty far south. Yeah. Um, and then kind of occasionally we would come and, and lead worship yeah. here maybe once every three or four months. So we recognize some of you. And then, um, yeah, it brings us to, to today. Or yeah. Mike contacted me maybe about two months ago. Yeah. Um, and we've been kind of praying about it. Uh, and seeing, you know, what God wanted for us and what God wanted for City Life and really felt like this is where we're supposed to be for, for the time being. Yeah. So um, some of the, our back history is they, their heart for worship and the way that they conduct the service and bring people in together, their whole heart is to teach this. And so part of this process is they're going to they're gonna be working with our team, get everybody on the same page, but they're also going to be teaching us as a church over the next, what, eight to ten weeks or so what worship is, what our response to worship is, and what does that mean. And, and because this is not just a concert, right? This isn't just a production. This is literally preparing our hearts for the word that's about to go forward. And so give us a little bit of the idea of what you guys are going to be teaching us over the last or the next couple of weeks. What does that look like? Yeah, um, so worship is something that's really important. To me, something that is my spiritual gift. Heather's got other ones. This is all I do. <laughs> so, um, and it's something that, that I take very seriously and something that if you are looking for it, literally every single book of the Bible, in fact, multiple books of the Bible are dedicated solely to the topic of worship. And if you're reading the Daily Walk Bible every day, even today, um, Joshua is the book you should be on if you're following along. Yeah. Um, one of the, I mean, crucial moments in the history uh, of Israel is they're coming out of the desert for 40 years. They're, they got this promised land on the other side, and they got to fight this battle of Jericho, and they're ready to go. They're ready to go to war, and God's like, no, you got to sing, you got to get some trumpets, you got to get some drums, and you got to <laughs> march around this city. And it's one of the first things you learn in Sunday school when you're a little kid, yeah. um, that yeah. worship and brought the walls of the city down. God doesn't doesn't need us. He needs our praise and, and our worship to put us in a position yeah. where we can be engaged with him. Yeah. Um, and that's just today. Yeah. That's on the daily walk Bible today. <laughs> so um, hopefully we can kind of, you know, go through scripture and, and kind of see how worship plays into our lives as Christians. You know, it's, it's up there. Musical, specifically music, um, is on the same level as, as reading your Bible every day and praying every day. It's, it's not really an option, and God doesn't allow it to be an option. So um, singing, lift our voices, and praising him is something that, uh, that again, we find um, very important and that's really on our hearts. Yeah, it's really good. So one of the things you'll notice about Tony and Heather is they're very expressive worshipers. And Heather, I want you to just kind of 
to give them a word of what you would say you hope to happen through this process? Honestly, like, I just hope everybody learns how to dance. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, um, in all seriousness, like, worship is such a powerful weapon, and when we just fully surrender and allow ourselves to be vulnerable, you know, it doesn't matter what key you're singing in, it doesn't matter if you have the right dance moves or if you can clap on beat, Yeah. <laughs> God hears your heart, you're singing with your heart, and honestly, it, it is a powerful weapon, it can make darkness flee, it can mm -hmm. break addiction, it can break any shackle that's holding you yeah. and it's it's but it's something that you really have to learn and it's something that's incorporated into my daily life now like yeah. you know Jasper pooped on the floor I stubbed my toe on the, the <laughs> counter you know this isn't going right and then I'm just like not today Satan yeah we're gonna raise a hallelujah and this is all gonna be okay but it just shows you like when you just let go and let God that worship is a very very powerful weapon yeah Jasper is her pet name for Tony. So, um, so I'm really, <laughs> I'm really excited about this. <laughs> um, to go on a real serious note there. Um, but we love Tony and Heather, and we're really excited about this. And Heather, why don't you just pray for our service, pray for what God's going to do here, and uh, then we'll jump in. So go ahead and Absolutely. pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful morning. I thank you for each person that has stepped foot in this building, and I pray that um, as time goes by, Lord, that you would work on their hearts and allow them to just surrender, break down those walls, and just really learn how to worship you in full surrender. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to the message we're going to receive today, Lord, and that you would just start doing really, really big things today. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's thank Tony and Heather, guys. Okay, go ahead and take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And uh, we are in the middle of a series of generosity, and I'll tell you why we're in this. The God specifically has over 2,500 verses about money in the Bible, okay? Now, if this is your first time being here at City Life, what I want you to hear is like, don't tune me out because you just heard money and church involved together, all right? Here's the one thing I'll promise you. We do not want more of your money. We're not going to ask for more of your money. That is not what this is about. God saw it so important to talk about money this many times in scripture because he knew it would be the number one threat to your allegiance and obedience to him or the what's going to draw you away from him the fastest, okay? Jesus, when he was here, could have preached about anything that he wanted. And every 10 verses through the gospels, there is something about money, Okay? Jesus knew this was a very, very sensitive and important topic for us to be able to process through. So what I want you to start to think about is we are going to be talking specifically today, moving from anxiety to trust. Okay? Now, this is something that is a universal truth for every human being that we are going to have to deal with. Okay? Now, let me read you something off of a list, and I want you to see if you can identify what would cause the things on this list. Okay? Feeling nervous, tense, or fearful, restless a rapid heart rate, fast breathing or hyperventilation, sweating, shaking, fatigue, weakness, dizziness, difficulty concentrating, sleep problems, nausea, digestive issues, feeling too cold or too hot, chest pain. Any idea what would produce those things? What is it? Anxiety. Man, you guys are smart. Anybody know what the number one cause of anxiety in America is? Money. We can go home. You guys are good, okay? 
We'll see you guys later. Okay, so anxiety. This is what has caused the number one cause of anxiety in the U.S. is money. Now, listen to this. Anxiety can have a significant effect on the body, and long-term anxiety increases the risk of developing chronic physical conditions. When a person becomes anxious, stressed, or frightened, the brain sends signals to the other parts of the body. This, the signal communicates that the body should prepare to fight or flee. The body responds, for an example, by releasing adrenaline and cortisol, which many describe as stress hormones. The fight-or-flight response is useful when confronting an aggressive person, but it is less helpful when going for a job interview or giving a presentation or dealing with money. Also, it's not healthy for this response to persist in the long term. Anxiety affects the body long-term ways by it changes your breathing and increases your heart rate. It actually impairs your immune system function and it changes your digestive functions. This is a really big deal. Like the product of anxiety, what it produces outside of it literally is killing people rapidly. The number one cause of that is money. Now it's weird to me that there's 2,500 verses on money. Jesus talked about it every 10 verses. That seems like a coincidence, doesn't it? It's weird. No, it was, it was planned for a reason. Because even several thousand years ago, this was an issue and a worry for people. To fast forward, it's a bigger issue and a bigger worry for us. And so what I want you to hear, this has everything to do with your heart, not your dollars, okay? This has everything to do with your heart, not your dollars. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to work through some of these verses Jesus himself preached about. So let's go to Matthew 6, and we're going to start in verse 19. Now, one of the ways we're going to do today is we're going to work through a verse, we're going to explain it, then we're going to move on, okay? So here's what it says. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. Verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, let me make a differentiation of people in the room. There's two groups of people sitting in this room today. Those of you who are not yet following Jesus, and those of you who are, okay? That's the only differentiation we're going to make today. Those of you that are not yet following Jesus, what I want you to hear is the principles of money management from the Bible are wise and good, but they have no bearing on your life because you've not surrendered your life to Jesus. Those of you that are our followers of Jesus, what I want you to hear is this is a command to you, okay? These are not optional texts. These are not suggestive texts. These are very clearly, do not store up treasures on earth store up treasures in heaven. Why? Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure is, okay? Now, let's make sense of this just a little bit. As we work through verse 21, it says specifically, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I want you to think about that concept, okay? Verse 21, meaning specifically, treasure is a place in which good and precious things are collected. This would be our treasure. Let's do it again. A place in which good and precious things are collected. So, Treasure on earth means I collect good and precious things in banks, in safes, in my home, in my driveway, in my garage, in my 401k, in my Roth IRA. That's where I can collect good and precious things, right? Now, what in the world does that mean for heaven? How am I going to collect good and precious things there, okay? This is what we're going to be working through today. What I want you to understand, he says, the things that you collect on earth, they're not wrong, 
Make sure you hear this, okay? This has to do with your heart, once again, not your collection of things. He says very specifically, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will also be. So, if I've collected all of my goods here on earth, this is where my heart is going to follow. For an example, the word there literally means in that place. The word heart denotes the center of all physical and spiritual life. So to put all these things together, it's a place in which good and precious things are collected. They're in that place, and that denotes the center of all physical and spiritual life. Here's what it means. My heart being tied to my things means my body is going to follow it around and do what it tells it to do. So if my heart is connected to my treasure on earth, Anytime I get any extra money, I'm going to swipe away, I'm going to punch away, and my body is going to follow because this is what my heart is tied to. My treasure is here on my collected goods that are precious to me here on earth. But what can happen? Somebody can steal them, they're going to decay, they, they are really fun, and they give us this sense of almost like this dopamine release where it's like it's really exciting and we're, we're, we're so grounded and gravitated towards this. And then for some of you, you, you get over things really fast, so a few weeks later, it's just a thing. For some of you, it's a few months later. Some of you are a little more nostalgic, and it's a few years later. But to all of us, it eventually just becomes a thing. But then we need something else to respark this again, so we buy more new things. That's how the cycle works. So what he said is, where your treasure is, this is where your heart was going to be also. So my heart is in the place of where I collect the things that mean the most to me. So here's where I want you to start to answer questions in your life. What means the most to you? If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, listen to me, this is a command. This is Jesus gently saying, listen to me, I want you to understand how important this is. Because your heart is going to be tied to your dollars. And I want you to tie them to me where you're collecting things for the future in eternity. Now, here's what I want you to realize about this. We're going to make a distinction again of the two people in this room. Those who are not following Jesus and those who are. The ones who are not what I want you to understand of why this isn't a direct command to you is because the Bible is really clear that, that heaven is the place that comes after our surrender in salvation. And he's very clearly directing us to store things up in heaven. So what you understand is, for all of you in here that would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I need you to now feel the importance of the weight of this command, okay? Because this is something that Jesus, in his very first public sermon, thought was really important to talk about. The reason is, is because he understands how difficult it is going to be for us to fight the constant pull to make our collection of goods and services down here more important than our future life. Why? Well, it's so easy to, isn't it? I mean, like if I look to the future, here's what all of us think. Until you near the end of your life, whatever you think that's going to be, you never think about the end of your life. Isn't that true? Like when we're young, we say, I'm into my life, whatever. That's so far away. I'm not going to think about that. And so what we do is we focus so much right here, right now with what we have and what we don't have that we want to collect and build these things for ourselves here. But to look, God says, no, no, I want you to pick your eyes up and look for the long term. This stuff right here is so temporary. It's literally gone like that. But we focus our entire life on how much we can get ahead, on how much status we can get, on how comfortable we can make our lives. Why? Because that's what we're surrounded with every single day of our life. And so this is a constant 
pull in a constant surrender that Jesus is after. Now, let's look at verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, the, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? This is an interesting couple of verses. The eye of the lamp is the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. This means I am fully surrendered to Jesus. This is what this looks like. I now understand everything he has given me is mine. Last week we talked about moving from coveting to contentment. So I realize everything you've given me is from you. Yes, it's my hard work, but you're the one who equipped me to work hard. So I no longer am going to covet after things. I'm content with what I have. So I've rearranged the order of my life. God, you're here now where you belong. And now here's my schedule. Here's the checkbook balance. Here's everything else that I have. It's yours. Tell me what it is you want me to do with it. Okay? Now, this is what it would mean if the eye is healthy and your body is full of light. Why? Because there is no conflict there that I am compromising and I am trying to hear, be over here one way and I'm trying to be over here another way and I'm trying to manage two different things. See, this is really starkly contrasting language to the rest of what we're going to read here. Okay? Now, what I also want you to see is he's talking specifically to Christians again because you are called the light of the world if you're a follower of Jesus. This light they're talking about is your salvation. So it's interesting if that is the case when you see this next verse. He says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? What this means is you can still be a follower of Jesus and be completely tied away from him on all of the possessions that you're trying to accumulate here on this earth. And then what he is saying is, man, that darkness has covered up that light so much. This is the God that you serve. See, this is where I want you to really start to, to weed through what your life looks like in comparison to these verses. It's not saying that you lose your salvation. It's not saying that you're not truly a Christian. What it's saying is you've been caught in the trap and you've bought in and it's got its hooks in you. And now this light is barely visible, if at all. See, this is why I think it's really confusing to the world when we claim to be followers of Jesus, but we look no different than the world does. Because the Bible is really clear about this. You'll be a light in a dark place. Well, a light that is very, very dimly lit is not going to stand out at all. But see, a follower of Jesus whose life is fully surrendered, everything is his, and he is not distracted by the things of this life that bring temporary happiness, that light shines really bright, right? That's very visibly seen at work, at home, at family functions, in public, because it's light in a dark place. So what he's saying is the light is not removed if you're a follower of Jesus and your, your, your heart and your mind is, is so trapped over here by the things of this earth. What he is saying is the darkness has come and it's covered up the influence of that light. Then he asks a question at the end. How deep is that darkness? See, for some of you guys, this is going to take a really, really, really intentionally hard and difficult plan to get yourself out of that dark hole today. But you want to know how easy it is? Here's what Jesus said. Ask me to forgive you and I will. Okay, God, I'm in this really deep, dark hole. I've totally been consumed by the world's things. Will you forgive me? Yes. All right, now let's move on. 
That doesn't sound like that hard of a plan, does it? Anybody? Is it just me? Like, what I want you to hear and understand is this is what we equate with all times. I'm so down in this hole. I'm so covered in dark. I could never get out. I may as well just stay here. No, that is a lie from the enemy. Jesus never said that. He said, I know what you're doing. Ask me to forgive you. I will, and then let's get you out of there. Like, what I want you to understand is, like, even if you've identified in the place where everything you've ever collected is only for this earth, that you see a way out today. And this is what God is doing while preaching this. He says, I want to give you freedom from this. I don't even want your money. I'm interested in your heart. Because if your heart is so consumed by the world's goods, you are constantly left short. You are constantly coming up with things that satisfy you so temporarily, and then it's just over. He says, I want so much more for you. So yes, let's get out of the darkness. I forgive you. Let's move on. But then we tend to go, yeah, but God, I totally screwed up this time. I'm such a loser. I'm here again. I can't believe I did this. Like we have this conversation with God and he's like, I already forgave you. Like, could you imagine this conversation if you could hear it from his side? It's like, I mean, I'll forgive you again if you ask, but I already did, right? So let's not make this more difficult than it needs to be, church. If you identify yourself here, you have to take the steps to get out of this. The first one is you have to confess this to him. He promises to forgive you. God, I've gotten off track. I've accumulated lots of stuff for myself, and it's been a God to me. Please forgive me. Okay, I forgive you. Now, this next act is called an act of repentance. This is where you actually do something about it. This is where you walk away from that deep, dark hole. God by your side saying, give me all the cares, give me all the burdens. I'll carry them with you. I'm right next to you. We'll shoulder them together. But you have to do the work here, okay? This isn't just the, all right, I'm glad you forgive me. Let's move on. No, no, no. This is where you put work in. This is where we walk along with you and help you turn the corner, get your eyes back on Jesus, get the body back full of light, get everything surrendered to him, and then we move forward again. See, the thing that I want you to understand is too many of us think we're too far down, too far gone. There's no hope for us. That is an absolute lie from the enemy. And if you believe that, he has convinced you of that, not God. Jesus says, I promise to forgive you. I want freedom for you. So we have to embrace this church. So let's look at verse 24. Now, here's a very starkly contrasted verse again. He says, no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's interesting to me. It could have been you cannot serve God and anything else he wanted to put in there, but he chose to put money in there, which means everything else falls under that false God. That's why it's the most talked about thing in the Bible. Because it's the two things you will be constantly conflicted with, God or money, and you can't serve both. So here's what we try to do. We try to, we try to kind of barter and trade with God, okay? And we start to say, okay, I'm going to serve you well here, and I'm going to give you all of this stuff. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not doing anything really wrong over here, God. Like, I mean, yeah, I could be more generous maybe, or maybe I've collected more things than I need. But I mean, come on, I'm not hurting anybody. And we do this kind of almost barter exchange with God. And he's like, hey, this is really, really black and white. You cannot serve God and money. You'll hate one 
and love the other, or you'll despise one and be devoted to the other. There's no gray area there, church, right? This is why I want you to see how important this is to God. Jesus, as he comes out and he preaches his first sermon, decides this should be in it. So I just want you to listen to this one more time. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What does that do to you? I can tell you in my own life, I have bartered with God. I have tried to manipulate this system. I have tried to be both. It's not possible. I'm either going to surrender to him all the way or I'm not. It's just all there is to it. What I want you to understand is the verse prior to that, talking about the light and the darkness, this is what they mean. I can't serve both and neither can you. Now, one of the questions that often comes up in just having conversations with people and counseling, whatever, how do I know that I'm really living for God? Okay, I'm going to give you really simple practical steps right here, okay? So you can start to process this through. So if you're wondering, are you serving God or are you serving money? Listen to this, five things, okay? How do I know I'm really living for God? Number one, you're actively striving to please him, okay? You're actively striving to please him. I'll come back and I'll give you the other side of these next. You have an active prayer life. So you're actively striving to please him. You have an active prayer life. The third one is you're actively trying to become more like him every single day. The fourth one is you are intentionally in community. And the fifth one is you are actively serving with the gifts that he gave you. Okay, now let's work back through this again. You're actively striving to please him. The other side of this is when it's been a while since you've read your Bible, maybe you haven't prayed in a while, whatever it is, you go, oh man, I, I probably should get back in the word. I probably should kind of re-engage with this. And then you want to try to become like him, okay? That is the opposite side of what we're talking about. Intentionally or actively striving to please him means everything that I do from when I wake up in the morning, I submit to him and go, does this please you? I want my schedule to, I want my conversations to, I want my actions to, and I want my reactions to. Do these things please you. I'm always striving to please him. Now, make sure you hear, not to earn favor or love or grace, because we don't earn that. It's given freely in salvation, but it's because I'm so incredibly grateful for that salvation that I got, I want to strive to please him, right? See, Part of, in the, I would say the very first thing is you are intentionally trying to please him, you're actively trying to please him, means that your life is in such incredible awe of this salvation that he offered. This is the way that your life is literally ordered around it, and you just want to please him. The second one is having an active prayer life. Okay, the other side of that is a reactive prayer life. So, an active prayer life means I am constantly and continually getting a hold of God very intentionally. When my life is on the best it's ever been and when it's the worst it's ever been, my prayer life does not change. I am actively pursuing him in prayer. A reactive prayer life, honestly, we kind of forget God when it's going really well, just to be honest, right? I've done this before when I've lived a reactive prayer life. When I don't have anything wrong in my life, it's just like, I mean, hey God, good morning. Thank you for today. Um, help me be safe today and let me tell someone about you. Amen. Right? I mean, I can keep that prayer going. But then when I like really need to be intentional with him, it's when something happens in my life and then my prayer life heats up. 
Then I'm getting a hold of him, and I mean that all the time. And I'm desperately seeking him, and I'm begging him, and I'm getting other people to pray. That's a reactive prayer life, okay? So what we're talking about is, is an active one how to see if you are really living for God. The third one is you're actively trying to become more like him daily. Now, even if you're in the one-year Bible plan, even if you're reading every day, what I want you to understand if that Bible is not reading you and you're not reacting accordingly, then you're just reading, church. Because I've been caught here too. All right, got my Bible reading done, did my morning prayer, I'm good to go. Okay? But nothing is ever changing in my life. And I've just started to mark the check, check the marks off of being a good Christian. Because I've got my Bible reading in, right? That's what you told me to do, Pastor Mike. Yes, I did. But. What I also told you to do is let the weight of the word wash over you like it says, and then you respond and react towards that. That's what it means to become more like him every day. Just reading the Bible, I mean, it's great, keep doing it, but that's not what he's after, okay? Number four is you're intentionally in community. Now, for us here, one of those expressions is city groups. So this is a very intentional time where you're in community with other people. Does it take time? Yes, it does. Does it take another night of the week? Yes, it does. That's the intentional part. But you want to know why most people don't go to city groups? I can tell you, it's a really easy answer. I'm too busy, (laughs) right? Because this is the way we arrange our lives nowadays. So I'm too busy for community, even though the Bible is very, very clear, we should all be in intentional community. So if you want to know if you're living for God, you're going to be in intentional community, and you're actively serving, which means your gifts and skills are being used for the ministry. And guess what? All of you have one. Some of you have more than one. And all of you should be utilizing them for God's kingdom in the church that he has put you in. And so... Here's the thing that I can tell you from Scripture. Three things need to be present in your life all the time. You should be becoming like Jesus more every day. You should be living in intentional community. And you should be serving with the gifts and talents he gave you. If one of those three things is missing, your life is off balance. If two of those three things is missing, you're feeling pretty miserable. If three of those things are missing, you don't even know why you exist. (laughs) Right? I mean, a lot of times we just question this. What the heck am I doing here? What does my life have meaning for? What is the purpose of it? Well, God created us to be very intentionally involved in those three things. And so when he is talking about this, we can't serve two masters. It is so much wider and broader, the ramifications, if I serve money over God. So that is a good contrast for you to understand. Now, here's where he changes, kind of turns the corner a little bit, okay? Here's some kind of remedy for us. Look at verse 25. He said all of these things. Now he has a conjunction word in there that says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them, aren't you worth more than they. Now, here's my favorite verse in all of the Bible that has to do with this. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Ooh. Okay. We have people who worry a little. We have people who worry a lot. We have chronic worriers, probably in this room and present. I just want you to sit with that question for a minute. Can any of you 
add one moment to your life by worrying? Well, obviously we know the answer to that question. The answer is no, but it doesn't stop us from worrying. It doesn't stop us from being anxious. Why? Because we think we can change something if we worry more, if we're anxious about those things, if we try to change things through our anxiety. But the only thing that we do, if you remember that list from the beginning, is we literally harm ourselves physically, mentally, and spiritually. You have to ponder that question. If you're an anxious person in this room, can I ask you why? Look, and I, I don't want to be insensitive to this. This is very, very real. Can I ask you what did that benefits you? Because I know what it does to you, but what is the benefit of it? Because at the end of even an anxiety attack, none of your situation has changed. In fact, it's actually gotten worse because now you physically are exhausted and drained and mentally exhausted and drained. So what is the benefit of this component being present in our lives? What, what I wanna say to those of you that are in this room and are not followers of Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to have a conversation with us about surrendering your life to Jesus, but here's why. What I don't want you to hear is Jesus is the little blue pill that you pop and everything becomes better and all anxiety goes away. I am not saying that whatsoever. In fact, you will absolutely have anxiety after you surrender your life to Jesus, but you want to know the difference? You actually have something to do with it now. Because before Jesus, I have nothing to do with it. Like, I, I literally just have to sit here and hope it goes away or try to push it away from me or try to think different thoughts or try to do something on my own. When I surrender my life to Jesus, he says, that is not for you to carry anymore. Give it to me. That is not for you to carry anymore. Give it to me. In fact, he changes your entire life where it shifts your mindset to everything that created anxiety and worry in your life. Honestly, those things aren't even that important anymore. And so it literally shifts what your mind thinks about and processes. But then let me tell you what happens. When my eyes move from here and God is my everything and everything is surrendered under his control and they come back down here to money and I start to serve that God, lowercase g of money, then anxiety starts to well up inside of me. I start to worry and here I found myself again anxious with the light of Jesus inside of me off track and frustrated. Okay, now remember, it's not a long journey out of this. Your journey starts, if you're a follower of Jesus, with, will you please forgive me? Yes, I will. The second part of this does take a little longer because you have to change the things around in your life that are creating the anxiety for you. But if you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, what I want you to know is today can literally be the first day of the rest of your life where all of this changes for you. And let me explain why. So here in a moment, we have this couch section set up over here for a very specific reason. Because we know that people online will ask any question they want because they don't see people face to face, but it's difficult to ask people questions face to face and we get that. So we're not gonna make you come up here, we're not gonna make you go to the back. We wanna create an environment where you feel comfortable asking questions and that is why that couch section exists. No one is ever gonna judge you for any question you ever ask. No one is gonna judge how high or low your worry and anxiety is. That is 100% a place where you can feel 100% comfortable asking anything that you want. And I can give you lots of people that would attest to that. 
But the reason why we want you to come over there and have a conversation with us is not because if you're anxiety-ridden and you're worrying about everything and, man, you can't make sense of this life, we just want you to surrender to Jesus and pray a prayer. That's not it at all. What we want you to understand is that salvation should not even be possible or made possible for us. See, the difference is, why we want you to understand this is like, yeah, although anxiety is a big deal in your life, you being separated from God is a much bigger deal than that. And so the way that this started is God created the earth. He created Adam and Eve, and it was perfect. If you've heard anything about church, you've heard that story before. He said, don't do this. They did it. Well, then that separated God and man forever because something called sin entered into the world. Now, if you're questioning whether you're a sinner, well, have you ever done anything wrong against anybody? If the answer is yes, then yes, you are a sinner, which makes all of us sinners, okay? Now, that word is something that God defines as separates us away from his perfect holiness, okay? So God, if he was a sinner, could not save us. So he's perfect, right? Now, this separation away from him is before our salvation, somebody needs to come into the middle here and rescue us. Well, we are talking about Jesus, who I've talked about this entire service. Jesus is God's son. God said, Jesus, I want you to go, and I want you to pay the ultimate sacrifice of your life. That sacrifice of your life is going to make salvation possible for everybody in this world. Jesus agrees. He comes to this earth as fully God and fully man. The reason he would have come here fully as man is so he knows where, what you're going through, exactly where you're sitting. He was here in the flesh. Do you think Jesus didn't understand what anxiety was like and worry was like? He absolutely did. In fact, it records in the Bible, the night that he was going to be sentenced to death, it says that he was sweating drops of blood because of the pressure he was under, but he returned that all back around and said, but God, this is not about me. It is about you. He had something to do with this anxiety and he never sinned. But he knows what it feels like for you. And so then he was captured wrongfully. He was accused wrongfully. He was tried wrongfully, and he was sentenced to death. And the Romans were really good at crucifying people on a cross, and especially people that didn't matter to society, which was Jesus. And so they would have taken him, and they would have beat him with very, very horrific ways to make you feel the most amount of pain you could possibly feel. History and the Bible record that they almost killed Jesus during that time they beat him so bad. But then he would have had to have gone to this cross. And there would have been a pole in the ground and they would have taken Jesus and they would have put his arms out on this and they would have nailed through his wrist and they would have crucified him. That's what it was called. And they would have put him up about this high on the side of the road so everybody could see him as they walked by. And these were lowly criminals, and they literally did not care what you did to them. You could punch them, you could throw feces on them, you could spit on them, you could do whatever you wanted because it was the most humiliating way to die. As Jesus was here, he knew the end of his life was near. He had never once experienced sin to this point, but he had to feel the weight of the sin of the world on him in order to die for our sin. So near the end of his life on this cross, God takes the weight of the 
sin of you, of me, and every person on this earth, and he puts it on Jesus so he can feel the weight. Well, because God is perfect, he has to turn his back on his own son. Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? And shortly after, he died. He was pulled off the cross, and he was put in a tomb, and he was buried. And if the story ended there, it would be an incredible story of a man who had a sacrifice for all of humanity. But what makes him Jesus and what makes salvation possible is three days later, just like we just sang, he came back out of that grave. He resurrected back to life. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated shame. And that makes salvation possible for us. So the reason why I want you to have a conversation with us on that couch is because this is what your life is missing if you can't figure it out. Because I couldn't figure it out for a really long time. And I didn't realize that it had to do with my surrender to that Jesus who paid an ultimate sacrifice, sacrificial price that I could never pay. And he said, I'm, I will rescue you, but you have to surrender everything to me. My way is better. My burden is light. Trust me, I will rescue you. And so it is not the little blue pill that you pop and everything goes away, but it is the chance to have your life for the very first time be forgiven for everything you've done in the past, everything you will ever do in the future, and to be made whole and new because of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. Isn't that incredible, church? So this for you is what is available to you today. If you are not a follower of Jesus in this room, what I want you to have heard is this is what is available to you today. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, this is how you were rescued too. What I don't want to produce is shame in you right now, so please hear me. But that picture of salvation, isn't it so incredibly frustrating when we serve a different God who does nothing for us called money? How it draws us in, it promises us things, and it literally leaves us constantly hanging and wanting more. This, this God, the one true God, did not do that. This is why he so starkly says you cannot serve God and money. So we have to do something about this today, church. If you're not a follower of Jesus in this room, we're not going to force you to come over there. This is completely your time, your decision. There's no pressure here. But we want to have a conversation with you today. So what we would do is, as soon as I'm done praying, we would invite you to come over there. There'll be people over there ready to talk with you and ready to have this conversation. But for those of you that are brothers and sisters in Christ in here and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, I want you to realize how big of a deal this is. We have to move from anxiety to trust. For some of you, you've never trusted God with all of the things in your life. You gotta start today. For some of you, that's what it looked like in your past. You used to trust God for everything, and you've forgotten what that looks like. You're at a different stage of life now. It's going to cost you more now. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost you. The question that we're asking is, do you trust me? Because God says, I know what you need. I know everything that you need. Do you trust me? So what I'll invite you to do is, this is a command, church. It's not an option. So will you confess, if this is you, he says, I promise to forgive you, but will you do something? Will you turn around? Will you walk away from this? Will you move back towards God, this Jesus who sacrificed? Will you move back and make that the God that you serve? We want to pray with you too over there at those couches.
I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. The thing that I understand about today is it is absolutely difficult. It is absolutely hard to hear, but I, I just want you to hear these last two verses in conclusion. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Church, this is our God. He's not mean. He's not cruel. He's not angry. He's not mad at you. He cares about you, and he says, give me all of it, all of the anxiety, all of the cares, because I care for you. So we have the opportunity to do something about this right now. God, I pray that you would break our hearts how you need to, encourage our hearts how you need to. But God, if we are not walking with you, if the rhythm of our life is not one that is surrendered to you and our entire life is under you, God, let us move there today intentionally. Answering the question of do I trust you with yes, I do. And show me what I need to do. For the people in this room that do not have a relationship with you, God, give them the courage to walk over and start this conversation today. We love you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.